0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20 is our text. We're continuing the series of messages, Kingdom DNA. We're doing the Sermon on the Mount, exegetical, verse by verse. It's going to take us a while. Two kinds of sermons. There's topical, where you pick a topic like marriage and find all the Bible verses that relate to that and put them in a sermon. And then there are, then there are exegetical messages that are more line upon line. You work through a text. The challenge is not only to understand what the text is saying, which is a challenge sometimes, but then to contextualize it so you could take something home that changes your life too, you see. And sometimes there's very little contextualization, sometimes there's quite a bit. So we're going to continue line upon line through the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the third sermon in the series, and today's message is entitled, Exceeding Righteousness exceeding, not exceedingly, but exceeding righteousness. And it's going to come from one of the verses we're going to study today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read the text first, and then we're going to work through it. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, That's another way of saying don't think I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I'm going to separate law and prophets uh, in just a minute, a little bit. I have not come to abolish them, destroy them, make them null and void, but rather I've come to fulfill them. In the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, in other words, exceeds the very best religious people on the earth, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Four verses, four points. If you'd like to take notes, you can do that. Otherwise, just follow along. The notes are always online for you later. first point out of our text is a beautiful point. Jesus fulfills every requirement and messianic prophecy in the old covenant. He fulfills every requirement from obeying the Ten Commandments, to observing the feasts, to being circumcised. He obeyed the whole law, plus he fulfilled all the ceremonial law. He fulfilled all the types and shadows that are in the old covenant every by every book of the Old Testament foreshadows Christ. You just got to look for it. He's in there. The Bible says that the Bible says of itself that the whole old covenant is really pointing to a Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 again says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what in the world does it mean that he came to fulfill them? Unless you had the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, this would be kind of a stem winder. But since we know Jesus' full mission to his death, burial, and resurrection, we understand much better what it means here. It means that whatever the word dictated that we had to do, which we cannot fulfill, He did and on our behalf, he fulfilled it. And all those prophecies, 200 prophecies regarding the first coming of the Lord, he fulfilled all of them perfectly. He said, I am the embodiment of what a person shall look like that obeys the Old Testament. And I am a forerunner of somebody who's done the whole Old Testament perfectly. Therefore, I can be the perfect representation for man to go to a cross To die for people because I'm a pure, perfect sacrifice. I've obeyed every 613 laws. 613. And he violated none of them in the letter or in the spirit. Two points I want you to see from this first verse. What is the law's purpose today? What do we do with the Old Testament today? Somebody's gonna to say, we should obey it. How many of you have stoned your children when they've rebelled? Don't raise your hand. There might be social services here. How many of you have a tattoo? Not one of you in Deep Creek has a tattoo. A tattoo. Yeah, the Bible says, the Bible has a lot to say about that. So don't be simplistic and say, just obey it. No, it's much more nuanced than that. Some of it has passed away. Some of it's still in, okay, tithing. Oh, we love the verse on tithing. The Bible says we're no longer under the law. Malachi says if you don't tithe... The devil will come and take your stuff. Oh, pastors love to preach that. Oh, you don't want the devil to get your stuff. Better tithe. What's, they call him the devil, what do they call him? The devourer. is it the devourer? the devourer will get your stuff. Okay, cool, all right. Where is that written? I want you to be clear-minded Christians today. That is written in the Old Testament, and yet we love that verse. Oh, we love that verse. How many of you guys are circumcised? Don't raise your hands. That's too, that's too much information. Well, you're not, maybe you're not obeying that one. For those of you that are not obeying that one, meet in room 312 after service. You know, I didn't have to say that. I debated it for just a minute in my head. I thought, well, go for it. This is Deep Creek. You know. They like it real. <laughs> so what's the purpose of the law today? Well, there's three things. Theologians have used these three metaphors. I think they're good metaphors. Let me, let me share them with you. It says, first of all, the word of God, we're talking old covenant now for right now. The old covenant acts as a mirror to show you your own selfishness, to show you who you really are. You think you're pretty good. You think you're pretty prideful. You think you're pretty righteous? Oh, let the, let the law work you over a little bit. Have you coveted? Ten commandments say so you can't covet. Did you look longingly at that other car at the stoplight? That's called coveting. That's called a sin. What the law does, all the ought to's and have to's, what they do is they confront us in like a mirror saying, you're a sinner. I see this a lot. Bear with me. The the salvation experience has to have repentance in it. It just can't be, Lord, bless me. I believe you're God. That's good, but you got to at some point say, I am a sinner, and by nature, I'm selfish. I didn't learn to be selfish from my society. Now, I'm a Christian man. I mean, I'm a Christian man, been a Christian man. If my grandchildren get between me and the Super Bowl on television... You'd be surprised how quickly I go from nice fun grandpa to what the heck are you, get your kids out of here. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> oh, selfishness is right there, man. Just right there. You think you think you're all righteous? I'll tell you what, you think you're righteous? I can make you mad in 60 seconds. We're going to go to three o'clock today. <laughs> no, so, something can get you. The thing that gets you is the law. So the law is a mirror that says, You're not okay. I'm okay. You're okay. No, you're not okay. You are loved, but you're not okay. Your sin is, your heart is wicked. Whoever says the word wicked anymore? Wicked is the unforgotten, Is the forgotten. Church word, Amen. there's wickedness. Our hearts are wicked. And until we recognize that left to ourselves, we're far from God and we'll never be righteous and can never earn heaven until we allow the word of God to be a mirror. You at best will be a carnal Christian. Oh, we got to start at square zero. You don't bring anything to God. Like, I'm pretty talented. I can really sing. God really got a good deal with me. Oh, come on, girl. You liked that, didn't you? Some of you over there really liked that. So it's a, it's a mirror. Paul said it this way, Romans 7 and 7. I would not have known sin except for the law. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. I'm a good husband. I, thou shalt not steal... You can't do any cash deals so the IRS doesn't know you're doing a transaction. That's called stealing. Christians have a word for stealing. It's called borrowing. (laughs) Can I borrow your lawnmower? Kiss that lawnmower goodbye. (laughs) Hey, can I borrow that that music? I can say, borrow borrow that record. You guys don't even have records anymore. Right, It's a mirror. Second thing is it's a curb. In other words, the law is of value in curbing behavior in culture, even for non-Christians. And the closer civil law mirrors the law of God, the more civilized, quote-unquote, more safe, quote-unquote, culture becomes so the law apart from the Holy Ghost can serve as a curb third use of the law is once you're saved you've received Christ and the spirit of God is now inside your heart you approach the word differently and you begin to understand the word more for the reason by which it was written For example, I'm honoring my mother and father. I share the journey with you by my wife living with them. We're 2,000 miles apart. She's been living with my mom and dad since May. So we talk on the phone. We try to see each other. I fly out there a little bit. She doesn't come here because my mom and dad cannot be left alone. They both have dementia. Thou shall honor thy father and thy mother. Where's the... What is that? It's a commandment. It's the fifth commandment. That's in the old covenant. Do I still do it? Yeah, you still do it, but you do it in a different way with a different attitude. Not like I have to do it. But for me, it's a great honor to honor my mom and dad. What a privilege. That's my mom, by the way. That's my mom. And when people say, well, Dan, you got a life too. Well, she's not your mom. She's my mom. She put up with me a long, long time. And I want a model to my children. So when my time comes, Jonathan and Jillian right there, I expect you to move in with me. Forget Matthew and Dana, I don't know about them. They got six kids, they won't have any time. But you, they have three kids. See, it's a guide. The whole Bible is a guide, it's a guide. You know, before I was saved, uh, I was taught the Bible, went through catechism and all of that. Confirmation, we called it. My junior and senior year of high school, I fell into a very serious depression. And at times, I have been medicated for it. It's kind of part of my weakness of my constitution. So in, in my utter despondency I would read a little Gideon Bible and that little Gideon Bible was like straw sawdust I got absolutely nothing out of it I'm a good church boy so I'm reading my Bible on break thinking man you know, I, you know I've been told this is the good, the good book nothing happened not a darn thing Then I get saved, age 18. I mean, not pseudo-saved, not like I'm hanging out with a good crowd now only. I mean, I got changed down to my toenails, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and every verse of the Bible now came absolutely alive. Every Old Testament verse, I saw something that could apply to me. And I began to write in my Bible and underline in my Bible. Now this is about my twentieth Bible. I go through one about one every couple of years. Write, 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 write. It has become the guide. It becomes the guide of your life as a spirit-filled believer. Number two, Jesus magnifies in our, in verse eighteen the absolute supreme authority of Scripture. Now all of us will consent to this mentally. but I'm going to ask you to, to re-examine your level of obedience to the word of God. The verse says, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, That's a, that is a Greek, 10th letter of the Greek alphabet. It's, it is being, it's, it's, it's interpreting a Hebrew word for the 8th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's about, it's about, it's about like an apostrophe. Okay? It's a really small letter. And then it says, not a dot. Some translations say tittle. Not a, and that's, that's the little mark on top of a Hebrew letter. It's either the top of the letter or it's a mark on top of the letter that's used for pronunciation aid. It's not even in the original text. So he's saying... Even the punctuation marks that were added later so you could read this, they're even anointed. Every letter is anointed. Every word is anointed. Every word has been inspired. Every word is trustworthy. Jesus saying, heaven and earth will pass away before one word that God has said will pass away before it's fulfilled. You say, you mean heaven and earth will pass away? One day, heaven and earth will pass away. The earth will be consumed with fire, the Bible says, and the Lord will create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, the Bible says. The old covenant promises are no longer needed. The old covenant ceremonial verses, they're no longer needed. All the prophecies about Jesus' second coming, now they're going to be fulfilled. So, when everything's accomplished in the Bible, Jesus saying, "Only then will the power of God's word be rendered fulfilled." The attributes of God's word, if you' take a notes, so you write this down A, the attributes of God's word, Jesus indicating here that the Word of God is everlasting and it will stay in force until it accomplishes to that which it is sent the, you know how you know how you know you know how important this is to me? When God gives me a, a promise on healing, a promise about a wayward child, a promise about peace. He's saying, Dan, take it to the bank. My promise is to you. Take him to the bank you're gonna change a thousand times. Stop basing your faith on feelings. Get your faith based on fact. The word of God will not go away, it is enforced. And I don't care what language you speak, what country you live in, what generation. You could be a Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen X generator, I don't care. The word of God does need to be contextualized. What do I mean by contextualization? The Bible says you're supposed to greet one another with a holy kiss. Frankly, I don't want to do that with most of you. It's kind of gross. Obviously not talking about kissing, it's talking about fellowship and hospitality. It says, ladies, you're supposed to wear a head covering. That's why Catholics wear head coverings. And, so, and Anabaptists wear head coverings because the Bible says you're supposed to wear one. Why didn't y'all wear them? No, seriously. What, what, what's with you girls? <laughs> out, all of you, get out. Go get your head covered. Obviously, if you obviously that was that's the context. The head covering meant I'm under the authority of my husband. And when these young women were getting saved, they're getting free in God. They're free, free from the, They're free, and that freedom sometimes meant that they they no longer respected their husband because they like that's old covenant. I'm free now. And Paul's saying, look at. Culturally, you wear a head covering to show that you're under, you're not a rebellious woman. That's all it meant. That's contextualizing. So you have to understand what a verse means, but it's still in force. It's still powerful. It's trustworthy. Don't you love the idea that even the smallest part of a letter is anointed? That's why I'm not real big on paraphrases. I'm, I'm bigger on translations. Translations, you take the original words and you translate them into the English equivalent. Paraphrases is you get the thought. And you just kind of write down the thought. Now, paraphrases are good, but when you're going to dig it out, go to the original language, get a good get a good uh, New American Standard of King James, an English Standard Version, NIV. Not, no, no, maybe not an NIV. You get right, okay, God, I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to finish my sermon again. It's your fault. I better make a comment about the NIV. The NIV is a great Bible. If you have it, keep it. But in the book of Ephesians, in the Greek it says renew the spirit of your mind. Numa, nous. The NIV will will translate it, renew your attitudes. Okay, that's not bad. That's not what it says. The spirit of the mind means something a little different to me than just attitudes. You follow me? Now, I'm not bashing any translation. Translations are good. King James is a little bit old-fashioned. But you know what? The older I get, the more I like the King James. That's what I memorized as a kid. Just kind of, you know, you sinneth. I like, I like that part. What's our response then to the word of God? Jesus just calls it uh, the law and the prophets. What's our response to that? What's our response to this inspired book? What's our response to this thing? Like, is, is my response to this thing to trust it or to be skeptical? Is my response to be pick out the parts I like and the parts I don't like? You know, some of the things our our nation is facing in terms of sexuality and race issues, and we're we're looking for political answers when I think we need to just step back and and approach these things from the Bible, and the Bible says we're supposed to love one another. Is that right? And I don't care. Listen, I don't care your color, your age, and you might even have a sexual orientation different than mine. I'm not condoning or making a statement of value. But the Bible says even love those different than yourselves. The Bible goes on to say even love your enemies. So where do we come up with I'm going to get in my tribe and fight all the rest of you. That's just ridiculous. All right, it's understandable. But that's not full obedience. It's selective obedience. We need to we need to allow the word of God to shape us, not we want the word of God to accommodate us. Jesus explicitly warns us, number three, against taking God's words lightly. He says, don't do that. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same will be called least. In the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them notice does them and teaches them, will be called great. What commandments is he talking about? Who relaxes the least of one of these commandments? What's he talking about? What commandments? Is he is he talking about the Decalogue? Is he talking about the whole Old Testament? Is he talking about his commandments? Because Jesus gives a lot of commands. What's he talking about here? It's saying here that we are supposed to do them and teach them. Well, let's take the first possibility. If he's talking about the Old Testament commandments and he's saying you need to do them and teach them, then that would essentially mean this. Allow the Old Testament commandments to act as a mirror and show you your sinfulness. Don't kick it to the curb and think you're okay. Tell people about the law of God. It's not okay. No, I use some examples over and over and over, and I'm sorry, I should should freshen out my examples. But I have, I've been with so many couples that are in love that are living together. And they make comments like, either we're in love and we're going to get married, or financially we can't really make it without this, or they make, you know, God knows our hearts, or, uh, you know, they're just sidestepping. They're just sidestepping the commandment. And then in the New Testament, First uh, Corinthians chapter six and seven says, "Don't be unequally yoked." And all the sin lists in the Bible—almost uh, half of them—are sexual sins. The Bible's categorical. That's for the wedding night. You want that? Get married. You don't need to clap. And if you keep wanting it, keep married. And if she leaves you, you stop. You say, oh, Dan, that's so hard. Why don't you contextualize? I'm trying to contextualize. I'm trying to say, listen, there's a better life for you. The Bible's not just being hard-nosed to steal all the fun. It's trying to protect You're not a dog, man. You're a human. Sexuality affects your soul, your mind, your future, your dreams, your sense of self worth. Come on. Nobody I've ever married has said to me this. Boy am I glad I've had a lot of lovers. Really prepared me for this day. If they're Christians, they're going, man, what the heck was I doing? This is I should have waited for her or him. How are we doing? No, you. You know what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's not temptation. Come, I was engaged once. I was engaged once. I didn't kick the field goal though till later. <laughs> and we were engaged for a full year. Did I want to kick the field goal? Yes. I want to send out the punt team a lot. <laughs> she was a Christian. I was a Christian. I knew it was, we set a curfew. I got accountability. We set at the wedding date pretty darn early and we made it. So when I said I do and she says I do and we had our first time that night together, it was pretty darn special. I'm glad I didn't say to her, man, I'm glad you're number 10. It's really going to prepare me for tonight. Nobody wants to talk like that anymore because we're going to hurt people's feelings. Well, I know I don't want to hurt people's feelings. However, am I under the word of God or am I over the word of God? Do I obey the word of God or do I accommodate my life to the word of God? Do I want preaching that just strokes me on the back and say you're a good old boy or do I want some preaching that brings the mirror of my life and shows me my shortcomings with God that drives me to the mercy seat to find a savior again? You know how, this is the only way you're gonna learn the Bible. Okay. Okay. If you're going to be over the Bible, pick and choose. You're never going to learn the Bible. Folks, start reading the verses you don't have highlighted. Start there. So say, today, I'm coming under the word. I know, I know, I know it needs to be contextualized, and it does have to be understood. I'm not saying that's always easy. We need scholarship and all of that. But the attitude of the heart is, Lord, I, I really do... Love your word. Second thing you do, if you're on the outside of church, if you're on the outside of faith, if you're on the outside of discipleship, that Bible is going to look confoundingly confusing. you got to get in the kingdom to understand the book of the kingdom. So people that are not in the kingdom are railing on the Bible complaining about the Bible, misusing the Bible, say, look, you're not even on the team. When you get in the kingdom, the spirit of God that wrote that thing is now inside you. Think that helps interpreting it? The way of love now becomes your life. And when you have the way of love, you interpret everything through the eyes of love and it makes a huge difference. Number four, the final point. Jesus promises us an exceeding righteousness. Verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Two things I believe are in view. One is Jesus is beginning to foreshadow the exchange on the cross our unrighteousness for his righteousness. He is foreshadowing becoming the perfect sacrifice. He is foreshadowing his death, burial, and resurrection, which yet is not in view. This could be thought of as the first indication something's coming. Because the Bible says, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't stand a chance exceeding the Pharisees' righteousness. You know, there's nothing worse in my view, than a religious person that's critical of everybody else. That's the worst kind of religion. Where the Bible tells us that we don't have to meet a standard. We don't have to earn God's love. When the word of God comes and says, you coveted today, I'll say, Jesus has fulfilled that requirement. When the word of God comes and says, you lusted today, I can say, I admit my sin, I have a savior who took the penalty of that sin. And no matter what the word of God, what the devil says, I have a savior who fulfilled the purpose of the law for that accusation. That's powerful stuff. Listen. You can have two people today sitting side by side. One, uh, they, and, they, and from the outward, they look kind of the same. They both go to church. They both are faithful to the church, to their wife, to the husband. They both pay their taxes. They, one of them does out a sense of duty, legalism. They're afraid of God, and they do it because they don't want God's anger or judgment and they're doing it out of their self righteousness. The other one might be doing essentially the same thing, but they're not under the law. They're doing it out of a place of grace and empowerment of by faith. The difference is this guy over here he's bitter. This guy over here he's happy. Two people doing the same thing by different motivations. One is bitter, angry, fed up with the whole deal, it's all duty, and the other one goes, Hey, I'm saved by grace. I'm loved by God unconditionally. And when I fail, I just get back up and keep moving. God's good to me and He's good all the time. What's the difference? One's under the law, one's under grace. One is trying to establish their own righteousness, the other just piggybacks on Christ's righteousness for them. And the final point today as we bring this to a close, he's also speaking of righteousness in the sense of right living. He's saying, you see those Pharisees over there, disciples? Y'all think they're pretty religious guys. They observe the law. You know, Paul said he observed the whole law. So they think they're observing the law. And he says to to his disciples, he says, you're going to have a righteousness that exceeds them. And I'm sure they're going like, what? And he says, look, they know they're not supposed to murder, but they give their anger a pass. In the kingdom, you're not supposed to murder, but God's going to work on your anger. That righteousness surpasses that. They're not going to sleep around on their wife, Because the Bible says not to. But you, you're not going to sleep on your wife. Plus, the Lord's going to deal with your heart, not to lust in your heart. So our living is actually more righteous, and we don't have to earn it. It's an upside-down kingdom. How many today are grateful that Jesus is your righteousness? Can I see your hands? How many of you are grateful that you're saved not by your works, not by being super good or being, you know, like the nice guy, but you're saved because you have a Savior for Pete's sake. And he has saved you to the uttermost. How many are grateful for that? How many today are grateful you got a Bible? When two billion people can't get one, we have them in every translation it dreamed of. Let's get under that Word this week. Let's love that Word this week. Let's ask God to pour out the Holy Ghost as we read the Word. Ask the Lord for revelation, for rhema, for promises, saying, Lord, here we go. Shutting down social media, shutting down the television, shutting down whatever you need to shut down, and here we go. I'm gonna just pick one at random. Hope it's not something bad. Oh Lord! I mean, the book of Daniel. <laughs> how great are your signs? How mighty are your wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Whoa! I better underline that one. All right. Deep Creek, stand on your feet, would you please? Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.